Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how to turn those fearful moments where your child's anxiety or OCD is bubbling up, often unexpected, how to turn those into helpful therapeutic moments where we can turn them into challenges. I'm going to talk about how to do that and how to do that spontaneously because it can be really hard in the moment when your kids are turning into a puddle and they're faced with a fear or discomfort that their anxiety or OCD says they can't handle. And often it happens right at the most inopportune times when you're traveling or when you're in a hurry or when you have to go somewhere or when you're in front of other people. I guess those are all mine (laughs) due to my social anxiety. So I want to talk to you about how to turn some of those into helpful moments. You're not going to be able to turn all of them into these beautiful therapeutic moments, but if you can turn some of them into helpful exposures and challenges and even teach your kids how to do that themselves, that's long-term success right there. I mean, that's living with your skills and building them as things happen and arise, which they almost always do. So before I get started, though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. A link will be in the show notes. I also want to mention that I am in the middle of doing my free series And this series is the survival tools for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. So if you want help navigating direction of exactly how to build a therapeutic home environment, this series is for you. I do it twice a year. So you may have participated before. A lot of people join every time I do it just to recharge their skills and their awareness, or they carve out the week that the series is happening to just put a spotlight on building their skills and working on that. And if you want to join us, it's not too late. We are into the second video, but it is an on-demand type of series where while the series is happening, the videos will be released throughout the week. And then you can watch them at your own time. And then I always create a temporary Facebook group for the series every time. And so I go in there and I talk more in depth about each video and I answer your questions. And so it's a really good opportunity to supercharge your skills. So if you want to join, you can go to AT Parenting Survival Series. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I'll also leave a link in the show notes, but do join us. We are still in the thick of things. You can join the Facebook group. We're having contests where you can win Amazon gift cards for just sharing your ahas that you got from the video or actually get one of my online classes from my AT Parenting Survival School for free as well. So there's a lot of fun things that we're doing in there. And I hope that you'll join us at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. You do have to sign up. Once you sign up, you'll get a link to the videos that have been released so far. They are only 30 minutes each. 
and there's only three of them. And so it's not a big time commitment, but the changes can be pretty significant. And that kind of leads me into what we're talking about today, because that's what I discuss in the series is how do we create a therapeutic home environment? Because we can't just say the therapist has this one. A lot of us don't have therapists that specialize in anxiety or OCD or have a therapist at all for whatever barrier, maybe because it's too expensive, your insurance doesn't cover it, your child's not willing to go, the wait lists are too long, there's nobody in your area. (laughs) There's so many barriers to getting effective treatment for our kids with anxiety or OCD. And for OCD, forget it. The barriers are almost insurmountable at times because to find that unicorn of a therapist that has an opening and specializes in pediatric OCD, it's like winning the lottery. And so if you have one, you've won the lottery. (laughs) So celebrate, but don't celebrate too hard where you forget that you actually have a role in all this. And we do as parents, we are with our kids 24 seven. And so the therapist does their part. If you have one, they're teaching your child skills. Hopefully they're even teaching you skills. That's a very important part of therapy. That's not happening. You might want to mention something to your therapist to have a session of your own. But what do we do in those moments when our kids are having a reaction to something. And I want to teach you a little bit about that today, how to turn fearful moments into helpful challenges. You can dive deeper on this topic and understand all the things that you can do in your home that will really foster a therapeutic lifestyle. And you'll kind of get what I'm talking about after this episode, what that looks like. Because a therapeutic home is a home that understands how to respond to anxiety OCD, anxiety or OCD, how to live next to it in the sense that you look at behaviors through a lens of anxiety or OCD. You facilitate an environment where you do hard things and you walk towards discomfort and you recognize your role in accommodating the anxiety or OCD. And you will sometimes accommodate it. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but you're aware of it. It's the awareness that's important. It's not the behavior per se, but it's the intention and the awareness. Those are like the two important things. You may not always do what is the best for getting rid of anxiety or OCD because it's not an opportune time or your child is not able to handle that at this moment. And that's okay. But if you don't have any awareness or intention, because you can have an intention to say, I'm not going to work on this today, or she is doing this and I'm going to give in right now to her anxiety or OCD, but I'm aware of it. And I have intention. Like I know that I'm doing that and I know why I'm doing that. I'm doing it because she can't handle it or I'm going to be late for work or whatever. That's really what we want is for you to be conscious of your decisions, regardless of what they are. Okay. So let's talk about what I'm going to dive into today. A lot of times our kids will just have difficult times and it can catch us off guard. We went away this past weekend. I'm actually having to batch my podcasts these days because of logistics. And so now when I talk to you, I'm like two weeks behind. (laughs) So whatever I tell you about my life, it is not currently happening. It has happened two weeks ago. So you'll hear this two weeks from now and you'll be like, oh, she just got back. I didn't. I'm recording this on Halloween. So it's always a little delayed now, unfortunately, but We just got back from a trip to Atlanta. My sister was getting married and it was just me and my younger two kids. And there were so many, so many anxiety and OCD moments. And I feel like we're just in this chapter right now of our life where my daughter's anxiety is really high. Her OCD is really in check. 
And honestly, and I tell this to parents all the time in the AT parenting community, I'll say, I much rather deal with anxiety than OCD. And I know anxiety is just as debilitating and horrible, but a lot of times when OCD is in check and you've kind of conquered it for the moment, you know, it's really quiet. Anxiety will start to be heard because anxiety is the weaker cousin of OCD. And it sometimes can't be heard or it's not powerful enough because OCD is so loud. But I think with anxiety, it's like a slow drip. It can get really exhausting because it's like, it feels nonstop and it feels like it's more whack-a-mole than OCD at this moment. And so she's been having just a lot of anxiety around everything and it's new stuff. It just pops up in the moment. And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm afraid of this. Or all of a sudden, I'm having a panic attack about that. Or an anxiety attack. Panic attack is different. But that also is an opportunity to build her skills. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So when our kids are in a fearful moment, and I always want to give this caveat, a fearful moment can also be a fearful feeling. Because anxiety and OCD, well, especially OCD, is not always about a fear. It could be about a feeling. So I might have a fear of feeling disgust or worried that I'm going to feel too uncomfortable or it's not just right. So it's not always a fear that's a worry. And I want to just always preface what I'm saying with that because this is about any child with any anxiety or OCD theme, including sensory motor or feeling disgust or not just right, all of those things. When our kids are having a hard time, what do we do in those moments? And so the first step, I always like to break it down into steps for you, is to recognize that it's an opportunity. It's a moment that you can have some intention in. And that in and of itself is very hard to do. To pull yourself out of the moment and out of the situation, and I often say zoom out and see the whole scenario going on, you included, and say, they're having a hard time. How am I going to react in this that can maybe grow their skills? Because the knee-jerk reaction is whatever your baseline is. And that could look different depending on your mood or what's going on. And the baseline could be frustration. Like you need to do it or, you know, just stop, <laughs> you know, or it could be to give in, like just give her that or just give her that. And it might depend on your parenting too. I noticed that if that's your parenting style in general is like, just give it to him. Or if your style in the past, when you had a toddler, who's like two or three, and they, they throw a big enough tantrum that you just say, just give her the lollipop or just give her my phone. It's fine. That type of parenting style, which comes with its own reasonings as far as why you might just want to give in. You might be too tired. You're just fatigued. You're exhausted. Or you might feel bad. There's all sorts of reasons. It makes it even harder to parent a child with anxiety or OCD because anxiety and OCD has tantrums. Like they want what they want. OCD wants you to give in. Anxiety wants you to help them avoid. And so if it's already hard for you to say no to your kids, this makes it even harder. So pulling out of that moment and saying, what should my reaction be? And then crafting a challenge in that moment can be very helpful. And I'm going to give you some really good concrete examples of what happened over the weekend with us. Um, I think it's just helpful to get like a visual on what does this look like? What is she talking about? (laughs) Uh, Whenever I'm listening to something, I'm always like, what? Can they give an example? (laughs) Like, what are they talking about? So I'm going to give you a couple of examples because it actually happened a ton on this trip. And when I was thinking about what to talk to you guys today, I always go to my life first. I do. I'm sorry. I do. Unless maybe someone from my AT parenting community, uh, my membership group, you know, like sometimes they'll tell me like, can you talk about this? And I'll say, that'll make a good podcast or that'll be a good YouTube video. So that often I get my ideas from that group. 
But a lot of times I want to talk from my heart. And so in order to talk from my heart, I have to think about what we're dealing with, which is often what you're dealing with too, right? I'm not going to talk about something really random. <laughs> Let's talk about this in a concrete way. So we had to pick rooms at this hotel <laughs> and my son had to split up for me. One of us had to go and stay with my other sister and my youngest. So she's turning 11 in a few days. So she's going to be Miss 11. So that'll really confuse you guys. But I have a Mr. 13 now. Miss 11 is more of a puddle. And so I thought, you know, out of the two of them, they both had their issues. There was like, there was no win in this one. And so I was like, can you just, can you stay in there? And I could see the deer caught in headlights. And I did just move into accommodating. And I turned to my daughter and I said, can you stay in there? Cause I saw his face and then I saw her face and I was like, okay, that face looks scarier than his face. <laughs> I know you guys can get this right. And so I was like, let's just go with him. That seems like the lesser of two evils currently. And so I said, come on, you can do it. And in that moment, I could have gone in the direction of fine. Both of you can just stay with me because my other sister said she had blow up mattresses. So I could have just moved into accommodation. But when we do that too often without even showing up to the game and saying, can I face anxiety or OCD? Or can my child face anxiety or OCD? Can I offer another option other than giving in? Because when we give in over and over and over and over again, fine, let's get the blow up mattress. It's fine. I'm conveying to my kids inadvertently, I don't think either of you can handle this. And that's not a message I want to convey because when we do that, and none of us mean to convey that, but when we constantly cater to the anxiety or OCD, we are telling our kids, I don't believe in you. I'm going to accommodate this because you're right. I don't think you can handle that. They don't realize that a lot of times it's, oh, I can't handle the crying and the fighting. I don't have time for this. Most kids will interpret that because most kids are egocentric. It's like developmentally appropriate that they think the world revolves around them. That's why when somebody dies in their life or gets a divorce, kids, even quite old, will think it's something that they did or they said. It's about them. And that's not them being narcissistic. It's just that's how kids are for quite a while. And so I don't want my kids to think that I'm going to give into their anxiety or OCD because then I'll have to give into bigger things and they won't believe in themselves. It's okay if you have moments where you're like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. But if those are all your moments, that's a problem because we are part of the solution or part of the problem. And so I said to him, because it wasn't going to be fun. I said to him, what's the hardest part about staying with aunt, blah, blah, blah. And so I start with figuring out what the issue is. And you never want to assume. I mean, I assumed a whole bunch of things. There was a lot of reasons why I knew he would have an issue sleeping with her or being in the same room with her, but we never want to assume. So when we're in a struggle, we step away. We try to you know, set an intention, remove ourselves from the problem, think about how we're going to handle this in a more objective way instead of a reactive way, and then ask, what's the biggest struggle about blah, blah, blah. I want to get to the core fear. And it also helps them feel heard is that if I moved right into a challenge and said, look, can you do it for blah, blah, blah. I'm saying blah, 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 a lot. I'm sorry. (laughs) Then they may not feel heard. Everybody wants to feel heard. You know, even if you feel like you a hundred percent know what the issue is, or they think, you know, the issue, it's very good to either ask Or if they're really little, you can state it and they can correct you. I know that it's scary for you to go in the dark. I know it feels scary. I always like to say feel scary because it's, you know, it's better than it's not scary or it is scary, right? It feels scary. And that's just a valid thing because it's, that's an opinion that's subjective, subjective. So 
I said to him, what's the worst? And he told me, and they were the things that I pretty much thought about. And I said, I know that's a big challenge for you. You know, I know that's hard, but it would be amazing if you can do that. I know I'd say stuff like, can you do me a favor and do that? Um, I know some parenting gurus out there would say, don't do that. But I want my kids to be team players too. We're in a situation, this is hard. And I said, you can earn five points. And there's the magic sauce, the five points. Because if you have created a therapeutic home environment, and again, I go into much more detail about how to create a therapeutic home environment in my free series. So you can sign up for that at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. But we have things set up. We have things in place for these moments. And so my kids earn bravery points for doing hard things. And I don't allow them to earn points for anything outside of challenges and exposures for their anxiety and OCD. Because if I have a back door to earn points in another way, I am undermining my entire behavior modification plan because then my kids will say, and they will say often when they really want something, can I just do a chore? What chores do you need me to do? Can I do something else? No. And I'll say to my son, no, you have to do an exposure. And the other thing I do with him in particular is when he wants something. And so we'll go through periods where he doesn't want anything and he's 13. So, you know, little stickers and stuffed animals or LOL dolls, that's not going to be a game changer for him. But a lot of people think that as their kids get older, they can't incentivize or gamify doing exposures or challenges, but you can, you just have to look at your kid and say, you know, they have their needs and they have their wants. And are you giving them all their wants without having them do challenging things for them? And so when you have a child with anxiety or OCD, that's your currency and that moves the needle and you need something to move the needle. The magic happens after they do it. Yes, they get the incentive, but the magic is about the feeling of empowerment that I just walked off a cliff and I fell to the next level. I didn't fall all the way down to the bottom or a parachute came out and it wasn't that bad. I glided down and I actually kind of liked it. We want them to experience that they can handle difficult things. And that's the real reward. But to get them to walk off the cliff and realize they're not going to hit the bottom often takes enticement, especially in difficult situations. I don't always offer points. Sometimes I'll just say, you know, can you please do that? Or can you challenge yourself? Or that's your OCD, you know, what can you do to fight back? You know, I'll use language like that, but we will also gamify it, especially in moments like that, where it's like, we're traveling, we are away, and it's something that he really needs to do. I'm going to incentivize that. And so because my son wants something right now, he's highly motivated to get points. And so we go through periods of time where he's not as motivated and he wants new grips, I think, for his VR handles. Sometimes he wants to buy digital things in VR. And honestly, I mean, even though it bothers me because it's like, you're wasting your money. It's like digital. If it's motivating him and I'm willing to spend $150 a therapy session, you know, a $5 thing in VR that's going to really be a huge motivator is totally worth it. Think about how much money you would spend in treatment. And then think about how much money you can spend equally, you know, setting up a behavior modification plan that really entices and excites your child. That's worth it to me. And for those that, you know, are really tight with their budget, there are so many privileges that our kids have. It's not a punitive thing, but like for my kids, they would like to stay up a little extra or my son would love to have extra time on VR because I have had to clamp down and give him a window of time so he can only go on it a certain period of time and he has to get off of it a certain period of time. And I wasn't like that in the beginning, but you know, he wasn't able to handle it. And so we had to set up some boundaries. He would love that extra half hour. Now that's another 
exposure incentive. And sometimes he'll come down in the middle of playing VR because he knows he's going to have to get off and he'll say, can I do an exposure? And I love that because he's asking and there's an opportunity there, but he's smart. And so sometimes in the past, he would want to do multiple exposures all day long to get all the points that he needs for the thing that he wants to buy. And then he would get it and he'd buy it and he'd be done. And then he wasn't motivated. And so I have a new thing where he can only do one exposure per day unless something spontaneous happens like we're talking about today in this podcast. And then I might make an exception, but I'm doing that because I don't want him to tap out and have like get all those points and then just buy something. I don't want him to take advantage of the system. So I just wanted to mention that. So I said to him, you can have five points. And I've talked about this a lot. So if you listen to me, you've heard all of this before. Sometimes just hearing it all can be a nice refresher to be like, oh my gosh, yes, I need to start working on this. We use something called Privilege app. It's a chore app. I adapt it to do exposures. It's a very simple app. That's why I like it. It's on my kids' iPads. It's on my iPad. And so I can award them points and there's like a store. And for us, because my kids have gotten older, A lot of times it's just monetary. Like my daughter wants to currently like get a new Lego set. She's into like really cool Lego sets, like the adult ones that are very expensive. She made it an Adidas sneaker and I didn't think she was going to be able to do it. And it's really good. And so her Lego sets are very expensive. And so she's motivated right now for that. And he's motivated for these grips. And so think bigger. You know, my daughter, my 19 year old, when she was home and had a lot of anxiety, I would entice her with like Starbucks. I would order a Starbucks and she'd have to go pick it up because we're working on her fear of driving. She wanted like an Xbox subscription. Like there's a lot of things that you might be already providing for your kids or that they want that you can incorporate. So it's not babyish. So I said, do you want five points? And he said, okay, fine. And I knew I could tell by his face versus my younger daughter's face that I would be able to get him to take a challenge because I knew he's really motivated right now to earn money for these grips or whatever they are. So that was an example. And then he was able to do two nights there and it wasn't that bad. And, and it's a great exposure. It's two days with someone he's not as comfortable with and that he has to you know, sleep around and all sorts of issues that he has. And by you know the second night, he was like, it was casual and he was fine. So that was a moment that I could have given in, but it was an opportunity. So you want to craft a challenge that is doable. That one wasn't really something I had to craft because it was just how to entice him. So I want to think of one where we can entice them. Let me give you another example. We had a lot of them this weekend. Oh my gosh. Between the two of them lately, it's been exhausting because I feel like there's just like an intensity around both of them. I'm working on his eating and his moral OCD and and her fears are just like all over the place. So another one, I'll just give you another example is we were at the airport ridiculously early and he was really bored and kind of being annoying because he was like throwing this thing up and down. It was bothering me. And I'm like, just go on your iPad and relax. And he said, I can't go on my iPad. And so he has some moral OCD where he has like intrusive thoughts and he worries like that he might look spoiled or be bratty. It's like one of his things. And so one of the compulsions that he does is he avoids being on his iPad because to him that looks entitled and bratty. So that was another opportunity. And also I had bought him some food and I said, eat your food. And he wasn't eating his food. And sometimes eating around other people can make him feel uncomfortable too. Combination of social anxiety. Sometimes it's moral OCD because, you know, if I get him fast food because I'm trying to get him to eat, it's a mess. But I said, you know, eat your food and play on your iPad. And he said, I have, that's too much, mom. I can't do that. And I said, oh, you can earn five points. And he said, I can't do it, mom. And then he came back. And it's nice when your kids start to 
understand that they can negotiate with you. And so he came back and he said, that's too much, but can I just go on my iPad? And I said, okay, that's fine. Three points for that. So don't be afraid to like bargain and negotiate. And so we crafted a challenge in that, what that would look like for him. And the key is we want our kids to move towards some of their discomfort. And it may not be exactly what we want. It may not be exactly what they want, but it's somewhere in the middle. We have to remember that as long as our kids are willing to do something that is going towards their discomfort or towards their fears, we want to celebrate that. And we want to reward that because that's the goal. It doesn't matter how big of a step they're taking. We just want them to move forward. So when we get back, I'm going to talk about the fears that some of us have as parents of our kids manipulating the system or taking advantage of these situations, maybe having problems on purpose or you know doing something so they can get those incentives or have more challenges to manipulate you. Because I hear that a lot about kids are manipulating us. Or my child's manipulating me. I don't think it's that bad. So let's talk about it. I'll be right back and I'll talk to you after the break. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about your fears of your child taking advantage of this or maybe pretending that they're anxious or nervous. And 
One aspect is you really have to understand your child's themes, their core fears, and really tune into what does my child look like when they're anxious, paying attention to their tells. There are things that my kids do when they're anxious or when they're uncomfortable that they don't even realize they're doing that I can tell as a parent. Sometimes I'll notice they're feeling uncomfortable or anxious before I think it even hits their awareness because I see their body language. I see their mannerisms. My daughter might be picking more or she might be um, looking uncomfortable. My son, he tends to kind of like, I don't know, like hide or cocoon himself. He shuts down. His eyes look a little different. So pay attention to those things. And then kids are kids. And so, yeah, they, they might want to exploit any situation you have going. And that's why not always offering incentives can be a good thing. So you want to keep things spontaneous. And, you know, it's kind of like when you're doing behavior modification at its purest level, like you don't always reinforce behavior with the treat. You know, I know that sounds terrible, but it's effective. So, you know, having intervals where you don't do that, where you just verbally praise them and say, I know that is really tricky. And I also know that you can handle it. And so you don't want to exhaust the points and exhaust the system and always being doing challenges for every little thing. You want to be creative and diverse about how you do it because then it gets monotonous for your kids to be like, take a challenge. You get to take a challenge, take a challenge. Sometimes I might say things like, I know that it's really tricky. And I also know that you're really brave and that you can handle it. And then I might even just say like, I can stand over here and I'll be a little bit closer to the door, but then can you go into the room and brush your teeth? And often I don't start with the challenge stuff unless I really want to move the dial or it's something that needs to happen. And I can tell it's not going to happen or they're so close. And I feel like if they could just do that one thing. So you want to sprinkle offering challenges with just natural praising and cheerleading and cheering on your child to do something that is difficult because they're not going to always want to do that. I often will see when my kids are having a hard time myself, and then I will offer a challenge. That's another way to incorporate kind of exposures and challenges in your life on a daily basis is sometimes seeing opportunities that your child's not presenting, but it's just right in front of you. And that also will help with kind of minimizing your child seeing A plus B equals C. I'm having a hard time and then I get a reward. And so I want to have more hard times. We don't want to unintentionally solidify that pattern of belief, that reinforcement loop of when I'm having a hard time, I always earn stuff. And so it feels good to have a hard time. Um, And that's why I'm not always offering points or anything. My kids are normally already having a hard time. And periodically I will offer the challenge with the points. We do have a rule where my kids are not able to get points after the fact. So if they do a hard thing and they come to me and they said, mom, I did a really hard thing. I should get five points for that. That's not how the point system works. You have to clear your challenge or exposure before that. So you could say to me, mom, this piece of chicken is really chewy and my OCD is telling me not to eat it. If I eat it, can I earn two or three points? And now sometimes I feel like my son will say, this is really hard for me. And then I feel like, is it really that hard? And then I will see him struggling. And to be honest, I would still rather give my kids points when they say something's hard and I'm not a hundred percent sure. They never say anything's hard. That's like ridiculously easy. Kids just don't do stuff like that. And maybe yours do. So you have to be on top of it. But sometimes I'm like, is it really that hard? Is it really worth that many points? And the last thing I want to do is send them a message that I'm second guessing 
And the fact that they're even thinking of the system, that they're trying to take advantage of the point system and that they are engaged in the point system and they're thinking about this is hard and I should earn points, that's a win in and of itself because that's the environment I want to create where my kids are thinking I'm about to do something hard and maybe I should earn a point for this instead of I'm about to do something hard and I don't want to do it. So maybe I should avoid it. You know, I like another option. The other thing is what I was just talking about is seizing those opportunities. And so when we were at the airport yesterday and my son didn't want to play on his iPad, I noticed he's not on his iPad. This is a boy who would want to be on his iPad 24 seven if allowed. And he's sitting here annoying me (laughs) and annoying his cousins. And why is that? And then I realized he's not on his iPad. So then I was just like, go on your iPad. We're at the airport. This is what we do. You have downloaded all these movies. And when I saw the resistance, because I'm looking for those moments, not in a hyper-focused sort of way, but I have both parenting lenses on all the time. And so that parenting lens with the anxiety OCD is like, that's a bit off. And so why don't you want to go on your iPad? I don't want to, mom. It's embarrassing, right? So then I was like, oh, it's an anxiety or OCD thing. It's an OCD thing for him. And that's when I presented the challenge for him. And so it wasn't a situation that was demanding my attention. It wasn't obvious. It was something that I noticed. And so sometimes you might notice that your child is avoiding something or they are struggling with something, or it's just their usual OCD stuff where they're not touching a certain cup or they are washing something down. And it's an opportunity for you to interject with, I wonder if you could, you know, actually touch that switch with your fingers and earn two points. You know, it's like you're presenting an opportunity in that moment. And that's really, really helpful because we were actually just talking about this the other day. I was talking to my kids and I was like, we need to start getting back to doing exposures. And lately we've had so many opportunities where I can challenge them. Now this is defense though. You know, I talk about offense and defense. I have a YouTube video on it. Um, You can always check that out. Now YouTube has changed. And so YouTube actually has created handles, which is so much easier because if you go to YouTube and you just go at Natasha Daniels in their search button, my channel will pop up, which I think is super cool. Cause I have a weird long YouTube URL and I don't like it. It's anxious toddler 78 and it's not about toddlers. That's a long story that many of you have heard. And so I like that you can just go at Natasha Daniels and it should pop up. So check out my YouTube channel. And then if you go on a desktop or an iPad, not on a phone, you can actually search the channel. And I like that too, because you can write offense and defense on the YouTube channel and it will pop up and you can see the video I'm talking about, which is cool because it makes it easy for you to find the things that I'm talking about. So a lot of it is, you know, anxiety or OCD is already knocking, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes our kids are just walking on eggshells and they're avoiding triggering their anxiety or OCD. And we might see that. And that's a pure exposure. That is offense. Offense is like when you come knocking at anxiety or OCD and anxiety or OCD is like, what? I'm sleeping. Why are you bothering me? And those are super powerful because you're doing something on purpose to upset your anxiety or OCD. And so it's more and it's hard. And sometimes you may have to do things like in our trip, I was giving so many points. So my son was earning a crazy amount of points. So he earned five points a day for sleeping in the other room. And then he earned, I didn't give him five because he wasn't going to eat. And so I think he earned three for playing on his iPad in front of all those people in public. And then we get on the plane and I felt like he's gotten a lot of points. We get on the plane and we were in a row together. So just me, my daughter and my son. And all of a sudden she develops this fear of flying. (laughs) Like, 
out of nowhere. This girl has never been afraid of flying. We've been flying all over the world for the past two years. And in that moment, she was like, I'm afraid of flying, mom. I'm afraid the plane's going to crash. And like never before. And, and that's what's been happening with her lately. Like everything. Afraid of this. And then, oh, I don't want to get into it. But a huge anxiety attack when we got to the hotel. She's afraid of like being in the wedding. She wasn't even in the wedding. She was like going to sit in the audience. I was like, you're not even part of the wedding. But you know, the metaphobia, like what if I throw up? What if I'm trapped? Right? All that kind of stuff. And so it's rough. It's really rough. And sometimes, I mean, I'm going to go on a tangent. I'll get back to my airport story in a second. But in that moment, because I, I do want to paint a picture of not always having these beautiful, perfect responses and sometimes accommodating. And in a metaphobia, I am going on a bit of a tangent now, but I know that you'll appreciate this because a lot of you deal with the struggle of kids worrying about throwing up as well. You know, sometimes I'm going to give answers that I know are somewhat accommodating. And emetophobia is one of those weird disorders because I feel like it's a smush of anxiety and OCD. You can rationalize a little bit with the fear of throw up. And so I didn't know what she was anxious about. She just kept saying, I'm so anxious. I'm anxious about the wedding. And then I was like, well, what's the scariest part about the wedding? And then she said, well, I don't know. Like, what if I throw up? What if I have to get up? What if I don't feel well? What if I, you know, and a lot of times with emetophobia, panic disorder can kind of tie in with that and agoraphobia. So you feel trapped and you feel panicky that you might lose control. They all kind of tie in together. So it's not uncommon for those three to hang out together for people to have that fear of losing control. And so instead of saying, well, you may or may not throw up at the wedding and either way, it's going to be okay. That would have been way too much for her to handle. That would have been like throwing some major oil on a fire. And so if we were home and we were just like watching TV and she's like, I'm afraid I'm going to throw up. Well, you may or may not throw up. And we do that all the time. She goes to bed. I don't feel, well, what if I throw up? Well, if you throw up, you'll still be okay. You can handle it. That was not the time to throw that out there. And so we do have to read our kids and know when is a good time to push and when is a good time to not push. And so I said to her, because once I knew her core fear, which I asked, because you don't want to assume, because when we assume we might be wrong. And sometimes she's throwing me curveballs where I'm like, oh, she could say something weird that I would not have guessed, especially right now, because her anxiety is like all over the place. You never know. So don't don't ever assume with your kids because there are times where we be surprised by their answer. And so I said to her, first, I was like, I'm sorry, your O-cloud is like really out of control. Like it's working double time. It's clocking in a lot more. And she's like, I know. And we call her anxiety NOCD, O-cloud, because it's just so confusing. She used to have two different names for it. And sometimes I'll say O-cloud and she'll correct me. She goes, no, mom, it's my anxiety. I'm like, well, let's just call it all O-cloud because it's very confusing at this point. But I said to her, you're not in the wedding. Like this is not your rodeo. Nobody cares about you. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean it in a real way. Like no one cares about us. We're not part of the wedding. We're not part of the wedding party. Like you are going to be in the back or like you could be in the back if you wanted to. It's very casual and you can get up and you can leave the room. She's like, okay, well, that makes me feel a lot better. And then I actually talked to my sister and I went back to her and I said, yeah. And your aunt said, you can get up. It's not a problem. And that's all it really took for her to feel better. Whether that was accommodating a little bit, but I think with anxiety, giving them a solution, like you're not trapped, there's an out does help. But that's also recognizing like, what does your child need at that moment? What can they handle at that moment? And so even though sometimes she'll say, I feel like I'm going to throw up and I'll say, you may or may not, you know, I can do that at home, but I saw that she was on a very tall cliff and that's not the right answer for that. So I wanted to bring that up because I think it's important for us to realize that we know, like fine tuning the gut feeling of like, what's the right response in this moment at this time that's going to help. I don't feel like that's over accommodating. I feel like with red thoughts and green thoughts that I use for anxiety, 
It's much of that ilk of like problem solving your way out of an anxiety situation. But at home, I would probably have her just sit in the uncertainty and doubt that she may or may not throw up and she'll be okay either way. So long tangent, but I think there's learning in all of these discussions about different ways it pops up. So back to the airplane. (laughs) Are you still with me? So she was not okay. And I could tell that. And I had offered, I said, do you want to sit next to me? Because it's a big deal where people are going to sit. And so my son has to sit at the window or in the middle because he wants to eat, but he can't eat in front of people. And then my daughter has sensory motor OCD where she needs to pee a lot. So she likes to be on the outside of the aisle so that she can get up and down often. I prefer the window, but I was being flexible. And so my son had the middle going. And so I said, okay, I should get the window. Um, And even though I didn't really care too much, it's like, I want them to see that they have to give and take, you know, even to a grown up. that I'm not gonna always sacrifice and be selfless because I'm a human being too. And I convey that too much, that I sacrifice too much. You can have the last bit of my drink, even though I'm really thirsty, or you can sit here because you want it, even though it makes me uncomfortable, or I'll hold your backpack and my backpack, even though my back is bad. I want my kids to see adults as human beings as well. And so I was like, I want the window. We already agreed on that. And so he's like, fine. And we're sitting there, like just going on a plane in and of itself is a lot for them. And so I'm okay with giving them the seats that are going to make them comfortable and happy. That's okay. But I said to my daughter, as she said, I'm afraid we're going to crash. And I was like, shh, you're going to scare other people, you know, (laughs) because that's my social anxiety, right? And so I said, do you want to sit next to me? Yeah. And I said it before I realized, oh, this is going to cause problems with twin number two. They're not twins. I'm just kidding. So I said, can you scoot over? And then he's like, no, I can't. And I was like, why? And he said, then I won't eat. I'm not going to eat on the plane. And I said, that's fine. You just need to scoot over. And so there was no like, you can get another five points or, you know, because I had tapped that out. He had already gotten a lot of points and there was no way I was going to offer him more points. I said, you need to move. And so he did. And I can have that type of parenting sometimes where I'm just stern and I'm like, you just need to move. And I knew it was a three hour flight. I didn't care if he ate or not at that point. And sometimes, yes, I think he He knows how worried I am about calories and about him eating. And so I felt like he was also using that opportunity maybe to, it was almost like a veiled threat, not, not maybe totally consciously, but it was kind of like, if you move me, I'm not going to eat. And I was like, then don't eat. And so she did move to the middle and they fought over the one armrest that they shared (laughs) and that was the flight. But my point is that was also an exposure for him. I had him sit on the aisle. I actually do think he ate. I didn't watch him too much because I was way into my movie, but I feel like I saw him eat his pretzels and stuff, but you know, he had already eaten before. So I wasn't concerned with it. And that's another example of that was an exposure. He had to sit on the aisle. There was a time when we were flying once and he had to actually sit with a stranger. And that was huge for all my kids. I don't know why, but for my oldest and for my son, like it's such a big deal for them to have to sit next to a stranger. And I get it. Even my social anxiety doesn't like to sit next to a stranger, but like even my 19 year old, like she will fight tooth and nail to not sit next to a stranger because there's four of us. And so we can't all sit in one row. But it's a good exposure for him. And so that was an exposure without offering a challenge, but it was still him having to sit in his discomfort. And I knew he wasn't going to push me too much. And so that was another opportunity. So you can set up these challenges with or without incentives. You can offer coaching and praising and 
cheerleading, or you can just kind of do some parenting like I did in that moment because I could tell like his fear wasn't too great that I could just be like, you need to go. You need to sit in the next seat. Like you need to move. I mean, sometimes I do have a firm parenting approach, even when it comes to anxiety or OCD in the moment when we are on a plane and he needs to move, I can read him and I can tell I'm not pushing him to the point where he's going to implode or explode. And that that goes back to like just really being able to read your kids and know what they can handle and what they can't. So I hope this was helpful in giving you some ideas of how to kind of see some opportunities at your house when maybe your kids are just not moving towards their discomfort or their fear and how to spot them spontaneously in the moments Often we think there's no way we're going to do any exposures or challenges while we're traveling because just traveling in and of itself is a natural exposure. And that can be very true. But I feel like my kids are almost like in inpatient treatment when we travel because so many opportunities pop up and I seize those opportunities. And often we're doing more exposures and more incentives, not to survive, but to really take an opportunity that's presenting itself and saying, this is a great opportunity. Like him sitting at the airport, not on his iPad, just annoying me, was not a survival situation. It was an opportunity. And how often do I get an opportunity where he is sitting with a bunch of strangers for like an hour where I'm next to him and he doesn't want to be on his iPad? Like it's a great opportunity. And so sometimes we can look at these situations as not a struggle or an annoyance, but as an opportunity that's knocking that we can take advantage of. And if you have that in your mindset, like I have it in my mindset that my kids are going to stumble and they're going to hit bumps. And my job, if I can show up in the way that I want to sometimes, is to help them navigate over the bump themselves. And however I can get them over the bump, instead of me smoothing the bump or me like telling them how they can drive around the bump, or me like putting them on my shoulders and I walk over the bump, I want them to be able to navigate these bumps. And so, you know, I think unlike some parents that I work with in the AT parenting community, I don't get overwhelmed with the idea that my kids have these fluctuations in anxiety or OCD. Like I kind of expect that because I know that that's how the disorder works. But I see that the more we ride over these bumps, the more my kids are able to tolerate it. And they actually even saw me trying to help my sister. (laughs) It's kind of funny who has a struggle with driving in the rain. And so we were talking about that and my kids were hearing me talk to her. Like, what's the scariest part about driving in the rain? Well, I won't be able to see. And then it started to drizzle as we're driving and I'm driving her. And I said, we can do an exposure. (laughs) I can't turn it off. (laughs) Somebody help me. But I said, you know, I'll just, I'm not going to turn my windshield wipers on. Is that okay? Because you don't want to do things to people and they didn't ask for it. And I said, and you're not driving, but maybe you can imagine or pretend you're driving and see that you can still see, like it's not perfect, but you can still see the cars. So it was nice for my kids to see grownups working through these things as well. And and even my sister was talking about, you know, the more I go to the airport, the easier it's becoming because, you know, I'm getting used to it. And so I think making it a family affair, you talking about your own struggles or the things that you're doing or you're challenging yourself can also be really helpful. Well, I hope that you found that helpful in general. Don't forget to rate the podcast or leave a review. I greatly appreciate it. And if you leave a review, I'll be reading it. I don't think I see any new ones since the last time I did a podcast. So if you leave one, I'll be reading your review next time. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And don't forget to join me in the free series at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Sign up. 
come into the series Facebook group. Let me get to know you. And we will talk more in depth about how to create this therapeutic home environment and have these opportunities more and more in your home. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 